All right, James, we're almost there, guys. I mean, we got, uh, we got today, and then Chad is going to finish this book up next week. Um, and then we're going to head into the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, um, which is going to be um, like it should be a pretty good trip. should be a nice adventure, um, especially considering where we're at right now in the times that, that we live in. Um, there's going to be some real pertinent stuff for us to hear Christ say to uh, this church, say to us. Um, so let's go ahead and read the text. James chapter 5, we're going to take, uh, we're going to get 13 through 18. I have no idea uh, if, if Chad planned this out or whatnot, but it seems like all of the most challenging passages in this book landed on me. Coincidence, you know. So thank you, Chad. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working, or as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. We have um, arrived at a section uh, today that has in many ways been overly abused and misused by some as well as overly ignored and underly appreciated by others. Um, and I think I would maybe fall into that category. Um, and, my, and my prayer is that we all come out of this today looking at this passage as God has intended us to, that we may gain the heart of God um, and, and his interpretive uh, desire um, and receive that, accept that, um, gain sight um, into how we should look at this. Because the truth is, a lot of times when there's a, a passage of scripture that contains stuff that's uncomfortable, um, it, it seems to distract us and sidetrack us. Um, and we start focusing on how to debunk or to defrag this thing uh, that scares us um, rather than gain the heart of the text. Uh, it actually undoes the entire purpose we want to gain, that's the whole goal. Every time we come to the word of God, no matter what the passage is, the goal is, what does God want me to know? What does God want me to hear? What does God want me to see? How can I rightly know the heart of God for me in this text? And, and so we want, to, we want to do this today. And so let's just go ahead and, and identify right up front here what the heart of this text is. And it is about prayer. The subject of this text is prayer. The promotion of the text is prayer. The heart, the crux, the bottom line of what James is pushing here is that prayer matters. Amen? Prayer matters. Prayer matters. Prayer changes things. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is binding. And it's also loosening. It matters in our lives. It matters in the church. 
It matters in trial. It matters in illness. It matters in sin. It matters in blessing. It matters in thanksgiving. It matters in happiness. Prayer matters. Why? Because prayer is what connects us to the Father. It's how we communicate with our dad. It is the medium of our relational interaction with the one who means everything and who is everything. It is how we express directly to God our joys and our hurts and our fears and our excitements and praise and doubt and hope and feelings and thoughts and discouragements and needs and our gratitude. To be a Christian and never talk to God would be the equivalent of being married and never talking to your partner. It would be like living in the same house, the same bedroom, sleeping in the same bed, using the same bathroom, eating at the same breakfast table, sharing the same cars, probably the same children, and never ever speaking to each other. That's how weird it would be if you and I did not pray. James here is concluding in this letter, he's wrapping up by giving these guys the most natural, practical, healthy, beneficial action step to all their sufferings and all their hardships um, to share ultimately with the body and with the Father. That's how he's wrapping up the solution to them. He says in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Why? Because we're not alone. We need to be told that once in a while. We need to be reminded of that once in a while. We are not alone in this deal. The only thing that's worse than suffering is suffering alone. You ever done that when someone wasn't around to take care of you? (laughs) Stinks. Or thinking that you're alone in what it is that you're going through. That stinks too. Like nobody else knows. Prayer says you're not alone. Prayer says you don't have to suffer alone. God is near. He is mindful. He is concerned. He is interested. And he is able to answer, to respond. Maybe not the way we want him to, but he responds. To lean on God in your suffering is to find relief in your suffering, even if your suffering is not relieved. Let me say that again. To lean on God in your suffering is to find relief in your suffering, even if your suffering is not relieved, whether it goes away or not. When we go to God, we win. When we go to God, we benefit. Because the the biggest blessing is not that whatever it is that we're having a hard time with is removed. The biggest blessing is that we are looking, pressing into, dependent on, in necessity of a great God. It brings us closer to him. Paul reveals to us in 2 Corinthians 12 that he's come to a point of boasting gladly in his weaknesses, in his sufferings, in his troubles, because in them, the Lord's power in him is made perfect. It's in the suffering, it's in the weakness, it's in the trial that he says, I, I've learned to actually like get a little bit happy over that. Because it means that this, this whole thing is going to tighten up. There's going to be more of, of him in me. There's going to be more power in me from him. 
See, he's come to value the sufferings and to cherish them because he's not alone in them, because God is even more present in the sufferings. When we suffer, we turn to God in prayer, and that's the bottom line. When we're in trouble, when our back's up against the wall, when we're pressed on, when we're pushed on, is when we pray. And and it, like, annoys me to no end that sometimes it takes as much as it does for me to do that, for me to acknowledge God in my life. But praise God that there's things in my life that come along that push me into him. Praise God that there are waves, like Charles Spurgeon said, that come along sometimes and slam us into the rock of ages because there's no better place for us to be. That's where we're actually designed and created to be. Pressed into him, desperate for him, needing him. When we turn to God in prayer, we become strengthened by him. When we suffer, a right response is to talk to God. Likewise, when we're of good cheer, for the one who is light and not heavy, a right response is also to talk to God. This is why we call this praise and prayer time when we do this every week. We want both. We want to rejoice with those who have something to rejoice over and and pray with someone who has something to pray over. James goes on to say in verse 13, is anybody cheerful? Let him sing praise. When we're cheerful, a right response is to praise God, which is also to talk to him. It's to thank him. It's to acknowledge him in it. Makes me think of Ecclesiastes 4, right? There's a time to weep, a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time for all of it. And this is what I love about sharing time is because usually we get all of it. It's all present. The good, the bad, the happy, the sad, the beautiful, the ugly, the praise, the petition. Christianity includes all these things because life includes all these things. And we as Christians are not exempt of experiencing all of it. This also means that we as Christians are not all pressed and pressured to keep up appearances and act as if everything is fine. And I grew up in one of these churches. And I'm telling you, there ain't nothing beneficial about it. I happened to grow up in a church that showed little honesty, little transparency, little humanity. And it made me feel as if I was different than everybody else, as if all of them knew something that I didn't know. Like there was something wrong with me because I wasn't polished on the inside and it appeared that they were. And I have come to love how we are not all in the same place at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Like so that when I'm down, you can pick me up. So that when you're down, I can pick you up. It's a blessing that we're not all in the same place at the same time. This is part of the reason, again, why we have a plurality of co-equal pastors at the door. It's not one dude that wears a cape and gets paid to wear a cape and run around and make the machine go. We like to tell people, between the three of us pastors, we make one decent one. And I know that's, that's kind of funny, cute, but like it's true. I don't know how some of these guys do it. The, the only reason I'm here 10 years after we first planted the door, pastoring still, striving with you guys, teaching you guys, is because of those other guys that have come alongside me and talked to me off the cliff. There have been times I've stood at the end of the cliff and said, I'm done. 
I don't want to do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. It is killing me. And the other guys say, sit back. We'll take you from here. And each one gets on an arm, and they move me forward. And we get to do the same thing for the others. And we get to do that here with each other in the body of Christ if we place ourselves in the midst of the body of Christ. This is why you guys that are fringe need to go from the outside to the inside. You need to come into the Holy of Holies in the church where community happens, where love is, where you can be known by others and know others so that we can bring each other along in this thing called life, which oftentimes, even for the Christian, gets extremely difficult. When I'm down, I need to hear the praises that you have. I need to hear what you have to rejoice about. I need you to tell me the good things of God, what he's done, how good he is. I need to hear that when I'm down. And so do you. And so we need all of it. We need everything that we find here because life is is full of all of it. Verse 14, Here's one of the fun ones. You ready? I get a drink of water before we do this. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James says, if you're sick, call for the pastors, because that's the same word, not a different one. Elders, pastors, overseers, same thing. And tell them to bring a flask. My question is, what does oil have to do with anything? See, I'm a little bit conservative. I don't like weird things. Don't get too crazy on me in church or I'm going to put the seatbelt on and tighten it up, right? There's a lot of different thoughts on this oil thing. But to come to a hard conclusion of oil, which many have for its medicinal qualities alone, is really hard to do. First of all, If oil was the primary force in healing, why call the elders or pastors to apply it? Why not just call anybody? Second, if the power was in the oil itself, supermarkets would be in a state of perpetual oil shortages. Right? Just say the obvious. And everyone would be perpetually healed. We have a lot of oil next to our stove. You know what I mean? When you go into the kit, like there's just bottles and bottles of this kind of olive oil and that kind of oil. But you know what? It stays at the stove. It's for uh, frying things. It, um, it has never fixed me. So what is this? And, and, and maybe this isn't so weird or fringe or crazy as it may appear if we consider the reality that God often uses something physical or material to represent or communicate a spiritual reality, right? For instance, the Lord's Supper, communion. What is that? It's typically like a one-inch square piece of dry, tasteless bread or cracker, followed by like a little thimble of not very good grape juice. Like, what is that in and of itself? Nothing. It just makes you want something better, more different when you have it, right? And yet, what that little thing represents and that little cup represents is the greatest thing that we can ever fix our hearts and eyes on. It's the greatest spiritual truth that's ever been made known to us, that never has never been given to us, which is Christ for us. 
See, the, the, the little physical elements themselves are nothing, but what those physical elements represent is Christ for us. The greatest thing that we could ever receive. The greatest need that we could ever have. And so we have a, a physical representation communicating a greater spiritual truth. Baptism's the same way. Might as well just keep going down the line, right? I, I don't care what the water's like that you get back. I don't care if it's rushing water or stagnant water or hot water or cold water or chlorine or like it doesn't matter what you get dipped in and dunked in, right? There, we, we, don't, we don't go into the water of baptism for the, the cleansing qualities of the water itself. We go into the waters of baptism for the cleansing qualities of Christ's forgiveness and renewal on our souls and our sins. And yet we use this physical thing, this physical material representation to bring us to the spiritual truth. And I would submit to you that oil is the same thing in prayer. And it was a lot more common back in their day, in their time, in their culture than it is now. We actually see it as kind of weird. It's funny because when we first started at the door, we actually would carry this little vial around of oil. And I have no idea. What was that stuff called, honey, that he put in there? It had like a really funny, it was like a zip fizz or something like that was the, the little... Anyway, and we would like carry this around when people would ask us to come out to their houses and pray and stuff. And then we'd like pull this out and they'd just be like, like what are you doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> like it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, in, in, in our day and age. But it did back then. And all it is, is a physical representation, a material representation of a spiritual truth. It's funny how we have this tendency to look at a verse like this, and when I say we, I mean I, and say, cool, here's a formula. This is how it works. This is how someone is healed. You do A, B, and C, and then D happens. And I don't know if you know any of these people, but, but I've known a lot of Christians that love to find the formula for the supernatural. They love to find the formula for how God works and responds to us. Um, to completely embarrass myself, which I might have done here before, I have done this um, years ago when me and my wife were newly married. I had migraines that were uh, debilitating. I still have them, but they were really bad at that time, like frequent. And when I got one of these migraines, which would happen at any time, like never knew when, without any warning, like I was done. Like if I was driving, I had to pull off the side of the road. If I was working, I couldn't work anymore. Like, I, I would lose my eyesight. I would, like, it would get crazy with these migraines. And I remember praying for years, God, why do you have me have these? Like, what's, what's the perp? What good can come out of this? And I hated these things. I used to fear. I used to live in fear every day that I might get a migraine today, like one of those. And I was a new believer, a young believer, and someone had given me this box of tapes called Firefighters for Christ. Any of you that have hung out around the Calvary Chapel um, rooms for years, you'll remember that they used to have these cassette tapes called Firefighters for Christ. And it was just a bunch of different recordings of sermons by mostly like Calvary guys. And so I would take these, I was driving tortilla trucks all over Central Oregon delivering to grocery stores. And so I would like just bring these tapes and like listen to sermons like constantly. And I had this tape in one day and it was this dude talking about healing, like the power of healing. 
And I was like all pumped up. And at the end, he says, he says, I'm going to ask you who's listening, do you want to be healed right now? And I'm like, well, heck yeah. And I'm driving to Prineville. I'm like on the way out there, right? And I'm driving down the road and I'm like, and he's like, pray this prayer with me. And I pray this prayer and I kid you not, I feel the top of my head start tingling. It starts tingling. And I'm not like, like I'm not charismatic. I'm not like a weirdo, okay? I'm, ex- I'm extremely careful. And, this is, and I'm like, what the heck's going on? And then it just grows. It's moving down through my entire head, and it grows to where I have to pull off the tortilla truck off the side of the road so I don't crash it like something's happening. And a month went by, and I didn't have a migraine. And four months went by, and I didn't have a migraine. And eight months went by, and I didn't have a migraine. And a year went by, and I got one. And so I ran into my garage to look for that box of tapes. Because that, that, that was the key. That's what did it. It was that dude on that tape that healed me. And it's not true. You know, I never could find that tape. I ended up finding that box, and that tape was just straight missing. Gone. We like formulas. We like to put our thumb on God and say, there you are, there you are, I'm going to do this so that you will do this for me. And James is not saying that here. He's not promoting this. There's, there, there's, there's nothing secret in the oil. But the secret is actually in the next text. Fifteen, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Save them from what, you might ask. And, of course, it's the sickness, right? Save meaning to free or to relieve. And what I want us to notice is what does the healing according to James, which is the prayer of faith. 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 Not the application of oil. The prayer of faith. Now, I'm not trying to erase the prescription of the oil, but it's clear from James that it is the prayer, the communication from man to God of faith, in faith, that relieves him. Not only do we see this here, but also in the next line, which says, and the Lord will raise him up. The Lord will raise him up. Clearly implying that the relief, the saving of whatever it is this person is being prayed over to be saved from is in the power of God working in conjunction with the prayer of faith, not the oil. It is God's response and power to faith that is the restorative factor. Now for me in this text, the question becomes, what is the nature of this illness? Like that's a big question that's been debated by many for a long time. What is the nature of this illness? Is it physical or is it spiritual? Because there's been a ton of debate 
And part of the reason is because not, not so much of our own presupposition, which is definitely a factor. We all have our presuppositions when we approach texts like this. But in the language that James is using here, when he starts off into this subject, it would appear that he's speaking pretty clearly to physical infirmities, for sure. But as we move through this section, his language and his descriptions seem to shift to something more spiritual. I don't know if you see that there. Look at what follows at the end of 15. And if he has committed sins, how did we get here now? He will be forgiven. It can almost seem as though our physical infirmities may be or can be the result of our spiritual ones, which is what some people will teach and run if they do. It is not true. Anyone remember the the man born blind, John chapter 9? Jesus and his disciples come across this dude that had been blind since birth. And And the text kind of lets us in on the fact that he's an adult now, so he's lived a long time, his whole life blind. And Jesus and the disciples come across this dude, and um, the disciples look at him and they say, hey, like, who sinned, this dude or his parents? Like, their automatic assumption, because he had a physical infirmity, was that sin was the reason why God struck him with this physical infirmity. And what does Jesus say? He said it wasn't this dude or his parents. This guy was blind since birth so that the power of God can be displayed in him right now in what I'm about to do. Has nothing to do with sin. When you're experiencing physical infirmities and challenges and threats in your life, it's because you live in a broken, sinful world. And the sun shines on the godly and the ungodly. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. It is not always our business why what's happening to us is happening to us. Our business is keeping our eyes fixed on him. Right? Now, this is not to say that we can't make stupid decisions in our lives, reaping and sowing, that can bring about physical challenges, but that's a little different than what we're talking about here. The Bible makes it quite clear that our physical infirmities are not payback. Some of you need to hear this right now. Are not payback from God for not being righteous enough. Any of you ever think that? When you go down sick or you go down with something physically? Oh, God's paying me back like I know what it is, too. Like, I remember that thing back there that I did or said. There's no way he's forgiven me for that, and he's letting me know right now. That is not the God that we believe in. That is not the God that our Bible preaches to us. If this were true, we'd all be physical disasters all the time. And I'm not. I mean, look at me. I'm a poster child of complete fitness. Right, honey? I'm in my prime. Not true. I'm falling apart so quick. Verse 16. Therefore, as a result of everything that James has just said, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In other words, we are to keep short accounts, short accounts with each other 
so that we remain relationally healthy in fellowship, that we may remain close and tight and right and unified. The end of 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, as it's being practiced, as it's being performed, as it's being carried out. This is a great verse to let us in on, to let us know that when we pray, the act of praying, the devotion, the fervency in doing prayer, talking to God matters. It has great power as it's being carried out. Pray all the time. My question, though, becomes what determines a righteous person? See, I've always got to do this with the text. When I come across the text where I'm like, um, like, I've never done that. I've never been able to perform that. Then I always have to like make excuses for why maybe I haven't. And so I, I look at something like this and it's like the prayers of a righteous person like uh, availeth much, right? And I, and I have to ask myself what determines a righteous person due to the obvious. And I'm sure it's obvious to you too. I don't know how many people I have prayed for and over and with countless over the years that have never been healed, never been healed. And I can't help but to ask myself, what does that say about me? Must not be this guy. I must not be a righteous enough person due to the fact that my prayers just don't seem to cut it. There ain't no power in them. So what is this all about, this righteous person? Is it how someone acts? Does that make him righteous or how perfect he can be or how holy he can be or how much good he does? And the answer, of course, is no. No. Because at this point, we must not forget, guys. We must remind ourselves that apart from Christ Jesus, we have no righteousness of our own. None. We bring no righteousness to the table in this relationship. It's 100% one way. We cannot forget that Christ alone through faith alone is our righteousness. There is nothing else. There is no other way. And there's nothing else coming. Our only hope in righteousness is through faith in Christ alone and his righteousness. So what's James saying? And I submit to you that he's saying the exact same thing that he's already said back in verse 15, where he said that faith, the one who prays in faith, is the one who prays in righteousness. Faith. The one who prays fully believing that God will perform the work of restoration that lies before them, that is the righteous person. And oftentimes I'll admit I am not. Half the time, my prayer is, God, please help my unbelief. The question then becomes, do we all have the same measure of faith? Aren't we all capable of pulling this kind of thing off, this kind of authority in prayer? And I know this probably shouldn't be said, but bear with me for a second. I w I, I'm going to say it anyway because I actually think it should be said. I, I, no, we don't. No, we don't. We don't all have the same. Does that hurt anybody or offend anybody? Good. At least not all the time. Listen to Romans 12, 3 through 6. For by grace, 
sorry, for by the grace given to me, given to me, so something outside gave it to him, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Listen to this. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has assigned different measures of faith to each of us. For as in the body, one body has many members, and the body do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us then use them in proportion to our faith. Different measures of faith, different measures of grace. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 9. Now there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everybody. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. This right here. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Listen to this. To another, faith by the same spirit. Whoa, you mean that's a separate deal? That's a gift of the Spirit. Listen to the next one. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. See, that none of this is politically correct. You know what I mean? We should all be offended and point at the person next to us and say, I'm bummed that I don't get what they get. This is how God works, though. This is how God functions and operates, whether we like it or not. We have this idea, I think, sometimes that we all get the same thing when we get to heaven, just like we all have the same thing now, and we all get the same size harp and, and the same size cloud to sit on to play that harp, which, by the way, if heaven's like that, I don't want to go. I don't think it's going to be like that. It's not going to be like that. We're going to get Jesus when we get to heaven. We're going to get to see the Father. We don't all get the same things in the church now. We all get different things according to what God determines because he knows best and it's all for his glory. See, everything that we have is not about us and what we can do. It's, it's, if, you, if you caught it in those verses, it's for the benefit of the whole. This is, a, this is a team deal here. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. There are no cowboys allowed in the inner circle of Christianity. This is about each of us taking that thing which God has given us by his grace and using it for the benefit of the whole. So what's the point? The point is that if not everyone is healed, when you pray for them to be healed, it could be that it's not something that's been given to you. Or it may be that it's not something that's been given to the person you're trying to heal. We all realize that, right? I think it's easy to lose sight of that when we look at a pass, when we focus at a passage like James, that James is not saying God wants everyone to be healed. We have to remember that. We do, we should, though, earnestly desire the greatest measure of faith that we can possibly attain in God in our walks in our relationship with him. We should want it all. All of it. 
17 and 18, James actually goes there. He's actually encouraging by, by how he leaves us here in the text. He's, he's encouraging us to, to want it all, to desire a full measure of faith, where he summarizes the section like a good teacher would with an example of a man who's familiar. Elijah. This book is out of the book of, or I'm sorry, the story is out of the book of 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 where this drought comes about as a punishment on King Ahab and Israel for their adultery. Sorry, adultery, same thing. That's why the words sound the same. It's, it's, it's a word for cheating. The point James is making with Elijah is not that we can control the weather. It's not that, that we all can be weathermen for three years. The point is that Elijah was an ordinary man with an extraordinary faith. That's the point. As displayed through fervent prayer. The first thing that James begins with in this statement is Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Why does he say that? Why does he begin with that? Well, he does it to make sure that we know from the outset that there was nothing special or different or unique about Elijah compared to us. He's a dude just like us. James wants us to know that we are like him and he is like us. He didn't have some secret handshake or special power or back door to the throne room that allowed him to be a weatherman. It was an ordinary man who simply believed in a God that could do extraordinary things. And because of that extraordinary faith, heavy-duty stuff came about out of that dude and around that dude as a result of his prayer. As an ordinary guy. James wants us to be like Elijah. James wants us to be ordinary men and women with extraordinary faith in an extraordinary God. What was it that Jesus said? If you have faith the size of, like, I, I feel like I can't even, like, put my fingers close enough together to get there, the size of a mustard seed. You could say to Polina Peak, move from there to there and it'll go. It'll obey you. Now, I, I haven't seen that yet. I think maybe we saw David Copperfield do it once in Vegas. Um, pretty sure it wasn't real. Pretty sure it wasn't the power of God. That much, it, it, that kind of tells us, like, the amount of faith that you and I are running off of. You know what I mean? It ain't much. But I would like it to be more. I would like it to be much. As a result of kind of what we've looked at in this text this morning, I'm going to make a seemingly disturbing comment. You ready? Prayer is not powerful. Prayer is not powerful. Prayer coupled with faith is powerful. Anybody can talk to a God they do not know and no faith is present. James is telling us that faith is the difference in the one who prays. Do you guys realize that when we, when we talk to God with faith, that, that that is major air war 
See, the Christian life is, consists of two different categories of war that we're battling, that we're fighting. There is ground war, which is boots on the ground. It's our feet on the ground. It's our daily lives. It's sharing Jesus with others, making those gospel connections with others. That's ground war. And then there's air war. Prayer mingled with faith is air war. It can do just about anything because of the one doing it. I love the, um, I love the, the picture in, uh, yeah, at least got to mention one movie in every sermon. Um, we Were Soldiers, I think I mentioned this before. There's that point, the Vietnam one, where they're all surrounded. Like they, they go into this place, they're helicoptered in, they're dropped in there, and they're out in the middle of this jungle, this terrain they, they know nothing about that they're ill-equipped for. And they don't even realize like who they're dealing with at this point. And they come to find out, as the movie goes on, that they are surrounded by this platoon that like dwarfs them. Like it's not a fair fight. And so this fight stops, they, they get surrounded, the Vietnamese army comes in on them and they're done, like they're done. These guys are fighting almost nose to nose at this point and they realize like we don't stand a chance. And homie calls for the radio, right? And he gets on the radio and he says broken arrow and it shows this, this aircraft carrier off the coast launch a couple planes. And these guys get the coordinates and they go right to that line, that battle line, and they just firebomb it. And it changes the entire tide of the whole war. That's air war. You, you and I get this in our relationship with God. We have a God who is not limited by anything, especially when we are. And the more that we come to realize and accept how limited we are, the more that we will get on the radio and we will yell broken arrow and God will come to our rescue and he will do amazing things because he's in the business of glorifying himself that way. Guys, we have a real God that's not made of wood, that's not made of gold, that's not made of metal, that's not made of paper, that's not made of a worldly nation with a red, white, and blue flag. We have a God who is alive, who is over all things, and we have access. We have a, been given a radio through the Holy Spirit to that God. So let's use it knowing full well that he can do whatever he pleases. There is nothing too hard for him. Lord, thank you for James. Uh, thank you for his heart, his practicality um, towards us, um, just to show us uh, what it looks like daily to live with you, to show us um, what we've been let in on, the full blessings and benefits of being in Christ. Thank you for, for um, connecting the line between sinful man and a holy God between um, a sin-filled earth and a glorious throne room that we may access it. God, increase our faith, kill our doubt. And we ask this to your glory in Jesus' name.